everyone. How's it going? Welcome back to the Infatuation Podcast. And thanks, everyone out there for listening. We're so glad you're tuning in. Um, hey, do you guys remember a few weeks ago, uh, we were talking about New York versus San Francisco. And we were talking about how SF Chinatown needs some love and how SF Chinatown needs a little infusion of energy. And I wanted to do some shows about stuff in and around and about Chinatown, our, our San Francisco Chinatown. So today we're going to do that. We are going to uh, talk to someone who, who, according to her LinkedIn profile, says that she is a constant community advocate and she's had her hand in so many different community organizations and projects and just recently took part in the Miss Asian Global competition and was named Miss Asian Global Community Service. It's Kimberly Cito. Hey, Kim, how's it going? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure. Are you okay with me calling you Kim? <laughs> yeah, Kim, Kimberly, Kimchi. <laughs> um, I have the whole realm of nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's going on? What are, you, what are you doing these days? What are you up to? Well, there's always a lot of things going on since um, I did win Miss Asian Global Community Service. I'm always out at more events than I have planned. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think I saw you. I, I wasn't there live, but I think I saw videos of you at the Mid-Autumn Festival. You were on stage there doing a little emceeing and hosting, yeah? Yes, um, I really wasn't expecting it. <laughs> um, they kind of threw me up there because um, I work with the Chinese Historical Society, right? So um, we're promoting our We Are Bruce Lee exhibit, as well as I'm kind of double duty cause since I'm also in Miss Asian Global. So I'm, I'm also out there with my pageant sisters. Yeah. So you kind of see me a little disheveled because I'm kind of splitting my time in between everything <laughs> I do. So sometimes you might see me running tiara lists or you know with sneakers instead of heels or something so it's always fun yeah can we talk about your uh, origin story a little bit where were you born yeah so i was born out in the east coast um i think a lot of people don't realize it they probably just think i'm an sf chinatown kid but i am <laughs> not um i'm more of a new york city chinatown kid actually which is kind of funny okay <laughs> Then um, do you know do you know your your ancestors' background? Were they uh, were are you several generations in now, or are you more were your grandparents or parents immigrants? Yes, yeah, so my parents and my grandparents were immigrants. Um, my parents moved here when they were in high school, so my parents were born in Hong Kong. Um, both sides of my grandparents were born in um, Guangdong in in China or Guangdong, <laughs> uh -huh. and um, I kind of ish kind of like i mean past my grandparents it gets a little fuzzy mom tells me and i'm like okay like i need to like write these things down um but i am aware that uh, my maternal grandmother so my mom's mom is actually descended from the song dynasty oh, which wow. is really cool so i'm royalty yeah yeah you are <laughs> um that's kind of the furthest back that i know of but that's only on my maternal grandmother's side um yeah. That stuff's fascinating. I, I, I wish I could, sometimes I wish I could get in a time machine. I just want to, yeah, I don't know if I could communicate very well, but just to, just to talk to your ancestors, like, why did they, why did they come here? Or, you know, things that led up to people moving around. I think that's fascinating. It really is. And that's something I think my mom kind of put on her plate too, because she's always heard like my grandmother talk about like being descended 
from this dynasty and she was like what's going on like what exactly is this story like she was also like thinking like is it true or not like is it just something you know like mom made up or something <laughs> um, but she actually did some like digging and like historical research and she's just like oh shoot like you know my mom was, was right um <laughs> and i'm like okay that's cool <laughs> yeah someday that would be great to trace it all the way back I noticed that you're in an organization called Save Cantonese, which is uh, an effort to try to keep Cantonese in colleges around the Bay Area, or I guess you nationwide, yeah. And actually, has it's a project that's kind of spe- like kind of spun out, and it's kind of like a global initiative. Oh wow! Um, it actually started about t- probably two years ago now, um, give or take, um, more or less, kind of like toward the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and Stanford um, was, they kind of went through a round of cutting courses, cutting yeah. like money f- and funding for a lot of things, um, whether that's sports, language program and whatnot. And unfortunately, um, the Cantonese language program was on the chopping board. Mm. And there was a huge pushback um, in the community. And um, now they kind of, they have reinstated the class. Yeah. It's kind of crazy yeah. how the movement itself has grown because um, something similar actually happened at City College of San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, of course, the community pushback, right? I think even, especially, especially so in San Francisco, um, if you are a Chinese speaker, most of the time you are a Cantonese speaker. It's a, it's a large percentage. Yeah. Um, and that's something that um, we also have a branch at CCSF because someone came to us. She was like, oh, my goodness, like they're going to cut the Cantonese program. Mm-hmm. What do we do? So we joined forces. So we're, you know, safe Cantonese at Stanford and CCSF. Um, and it also has gone a lot of like kind of international recognition. Um, so I think it's really great what the reach is. A lot of people also ask, they're just like, why are like a bunch of ABCs and like non like native Cantonese speakers trying to preserve this language? Um, I mean, for me personally, um, I wish I like spoke to my grandparents more like I kind of just like pushed it away. I was just like, you know, assimilating into school when I was still like, you know, in grade school, my grandparents passed away. And as I got older, I was like, oh, shoot, like. I shouldn't have been like so ashamed of being Chinese, of being Cantonese. Mm-hmm. And that's something I kind of took to heart. So, you know, after I moved here when I was in, in high school, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, everyone here speaks Cantonese. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, was yeah. like, you know what? Um, it's time for me to learn. And it's kind of also for me to kind of make up for lost time. My mom grew up in Chinatown, but um, my mom's not fluent, but she can have a conversation. So I, when I went to Davis, uh, they had a Cantonese class, and I actually took There's it because I wanted to know my roots. Um, he's passed away. the The teacher Peter Long has passed away. Um, but yeah, I took it there, and I, you know, I'm, I still suck really bad at it. But I'm glad I know a little, and I, you know, traveled to Macau and Hong Kong and tried to learn a little. But yeah, it's so hard if you don't grow up hearing the tones. You're just never gonna sound native. It's super hard. Yeah, like. Yeah, but it's funny because people, a lot of times, they actually pick out my Hong Kong accent. Oh, okay. When I speak, especially in Chinatown, because you know how Chinatown, the way Chinese is spoken and like the lingo, it's something you can't really find anywhere else, actually, and yeah. not even in like other Chinatowns. I think it's just kind of 
like the time and place and people. Um, and it's a very interesting mix of like toy Chinese. Yeah, yeah. Like Cantonese, whether that's, you know, um, from the village or Hong uh-huh. Kong or Macau uh-huh. or wherever, um, and English a lot of times. Yeah. And I'm just like, for me, that's kind of normal because um, my dad's side of the family is toy Chinese. So, like, being in San Francisco, I'm like, okay, like, this, this makes sense. But once you kind of, like, move out of it, I've had friends, like, here in San Francisco been asked, like, they're like, what, like, what are you speaking? And I'm just like, it's very normal what they're speaking. Can't you hear it? And, and, then, yeah, I, yeah. and then I, like, think about it. I'm like, okay, it's because they don't understand toy Chinese <laughs> or something. It's a myth. Yeah, right? for sure. Like, my mom... So my grandfather came over here like in 1910 or something like that, or no, or even before that. And so his Chinese was based on like 1910 Chinese in the village. And so that's what he spoke to my mom. So her Chinese is like super old fashioned. Can you imagine talking to an American in English from 1910, right? It'd be like weird English. It'd be super old fashioned. So that's the Chinese that my mom learned. So when she speaks, yeah, I think it sounds like old timey, like old timey Chinese a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's something that's kind of special by about San Francisco Chinatown. It has this, um, there's this word in Cantonese called gulo. It's kind of like stuck in time, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, And that's like a feel that San Francisco in particular still has, I think. Yeah. um, As compared to other Chinatowns in the US. Yeah. And you'll, you'll see a mix of, you know, like, so my grandmother was born here, you know, in the 1900s. And so she lived to be in her 90s. And people would trip out because she's a little old Chinese old lady, but perfect English. Like she, she didn't even speak Chinese hardly. So she would have this perfect English and it threw people off to see someone that old have like perfect English. And, you know, if they speak to her in Chinese and she wouldn't understand, it's really like, yeah, she's like, can you say that again in English? It's really weird. Yeah. SF Chinatown. Yeah. For better, for worse has, has stuck in the past a little bit, you know, with the traditions and kind of just the, the way things are, are stuck in time a little bit down there, but it's a special place. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it a little magical. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Chinese Historical Society of America. Uh, You started interning there pretty much right after college? Yes, I, yeah, more or less a few months after college, I started interning, yeah. For those of us who, or those people who don't know much about Chinese Historical Society, you got a, uh, a quick little pitch on what their vision is and what their goals are? Yeah, so the Chinese Historical Society of America is the oldest um, institution in um, the U.S. and I believe also in North America that um, focuses on the preservation of you know Chinese American history, the history of Chinese people. In America, we have, you know, a large archive. So maybe, we, I mean, our space is actually very small. Right. <laughs> um, but it is one of the oldest organizations. And, of course, it's, you know, founded in San Francisco Chinatown, which mm-hmm. is the oldest Chinatown in, you know, yeah. you know, and then in North America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But essentially, the Chinese Historical Society um, is here to, you know, collect, preserve, and illuminate, you know, the history of 
Chinese people of America, Chinese Americans, and even like Asian Americans. Yeah, it, it's a cool. It's a cool little museum too. It's a, a cool little space in this amazing building. It's the YWCA, the Young Women's Christian Association building. That building, uh, designed by Julia Morgan. Uh, you just walk in there, and it feels so homey, and it feels. It feels historic. You know, as soon as you walk in that brick building on Clay Street in San Francisco Chinatown, it just feels historic. It feels like there's, I mean, I don't want to say there's ghosts, but it just feels like there's. There are, there are ghosts actually. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like you said, um, Julia Morgan definitely put. Um, a lot into designing the building. Um, there's always something new that I see when I walk into a building or even on the outsides of a building. Like even in the motifs, you know, there's little plum blossoms, there's dragons. Um, yeah. And like when you walk in the front doors and look at our ceiling, there's like, and you're like, you look up, I like see it. I'm like, that's definitely not Chinese, but it also looks kind of Eastern. Uh -huh, and then there's like uh -huh. Chinese characters. I'm like, what is going on yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's not, traditionally chinese right it's yeah. not yeah, very chinese it's but interpreted it, it, yeah it's yeah it's interpreted of what like chinese architecture may look like which is yeah. quite interesting <laughs> yeah no the, the building itself is a reason to go down there but we want to talk about this exhibit that uh i heard about way back in january of this year i was like oh it's coming it's going to open soon and then, you know, happened. The pandemic got flared up a little bit more. And this had been, is was this a project that started about when you started? Was it like two years in the making or? I think it actually was in the making before oh, I wow. came on as an intern. Um, typically when you plan exhibits, um, it, it takes probably like definitely more than two years. Right. Um, I think right. I only can imagine the the process started probably like four or five years ago. Yeah, sure. Actually, um, and even just, you know, working with the Bruce Lee Foundation as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, have getting the okays and everything. I mean, it takes time, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I only can imagine how much um, the Bruce Lee Foundation has on their play. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, writing books, being at other museums, other things. Right. Um, yeah. But I only can imagine that's kind of how what the cycle is in like exhibit curation. That's something that I don't do. So this is just something I'm just kind of saying that I think might happen behind yeah, the scenes. Right, right. <laughs> um, but it really, it takes a lot to put up an exhibit, right? Because you have to have like the initial idea. And if it's like, I mean, particularly for Bruce Lee, right? You have to have the foundations okay with it. I mean, that's if the foundation's not okay with it, I mean, it's, it's do it. most yeah. definitely a no-go, right? Yeah. Um, you have to have like all the approvals and then you have to like start curating like what's the storyline you want to tell right like yeah. what do you want this exhibit to show to people like what artifacts are we bringing in what collectibles i guess in, ter in terms for bruce lee um yeah and like writing out all the descriptions and mm -hmm. you know making everything look nice and pretty and visually appealing you know like where are we gonna put up walls and what color are we gonna make them <laughs> And all of that, it really does take a lot of time. And I think it, it might have come at a good time as well because, you know, the pandemic were closed and, you know, the past exhibit has been out for a while. So it was a really good time to deinstall, in my particular True. opinion, yeah. because it's like, <laughs> I mean, no one's even coming, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, you kind of can take your time. And I, I do wish that we would have opened a bit earlier, but unfortunately, right, the pandemic, the pandemic's always 
um, kind of hard to gauge, unfortunately, yeah. and still is a little bit. Yeah. So what we are talking about is called the We Are Bruce Lee Under the Sky One Family Exhibit. Uh, I just got to visit it. I've been meaning to get down there. It's been open for a couple months, but I've been meaning to get down there. Uh, but I just got down this weekend on a rainy, a rare rainy Sunday. I went down there and we, it, it's just fun because we all know, um, we all know Bruce Lee, right? And he's the legend, absolute goat, greatest of all time. I mean, for all, all the great stuff that's happening now with, you know, we had Shang-Chi last year and we have a lot of new representation in media. And of course, you know, there's, there's always going to be new projects, but it all goes back. I think it all goes back to Bruce and it all goes back to San Francisco where he was born. And I just found out that he is uh, born the same year as my mom. So they would have been the same age. And so he was born in San Francisco Chinese hospital down the street from the museum, which is super cool. Went back to Hong Kong. So he grew up in Hong Kong and then came back for college at UW in Seattle. Um, do you have so so this exhibit opened up and uh it's just kind of a self-guided tour you can you can get a tour right if you wanted a tour yes you would actually probably have to reserve ahead of time um because our tour guides are quite limited <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's doable it's definitely doable by yourself everything like you said everything's put out nice and orderly there's a real story that you're telling the placards all have lots of good information and yeah, really, really fun. Um, and so I would like to encourage everyone to get down there. It's a good afternoon. You can go grab some dim sum, go walk around Chinatown, make your way uh, down Stockton or Grant and then come up Clay. Uh, and so let's talk a little bit about this. So you, you've been working on this for a while. What is your personal earliest memory of Bruce Lee? Funny that you ask. Um, my earliest memory is probably as a kid, um, my dad talking about Bruce Lee right. because um, he would always talk about the times he had posters of Bruce when he was growing up in Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah. And he's always been like, you know, Bruce and I have the same birthday, yada, yada, yada. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's um, my dad's connection to uh -huh. Bruce and kind of his, you know, his rebel self, may I say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's kind of the earliest memories I have of Bruce. I mean, definitely a lot of, I've seen Bruce's face a lot. I've actually never seen a full movie um, or TV show with Bruce in it. I've always actually just seen like clips yeah. here and there or bits yeah. and pieces um, of whether those are his interviews, movies, um, um, the Green Hornet. Yeah. Um, but Bruce, definitely his voice and face is very recognizable and iconic and especially working at the museum i i hear i hear his voice so much uh -huh. yeah <laughs> and i always i hear his voice every day yeah. so <laughs> yeah I, I wish they would do some more releases you know you can get it of course you can get it on dvd but it'd be nice if it was on a streaming platform that we could all see a little bit more of his stuff yeah i know especially his earlier stuff um that are in you know hong kong right um the hong kong film archives are actually particularly quite strict uh, in showing the films like yeah. like um the kid or the orphan yeah so really old some stuff. of these pieces um you know people have probably never seen yeah. and if you had the chance to see it 
it was probably you know in the 70s in right. the theater right. in SF somewhere maybe and it'd be um, dubbed, and that was, it might be dubbed or you know like kind of weird production value yeah so but uh yeah i mean on, honestly some of the stuff is a little rough you know it doesn't hold up super well cuz it was the 60s and 70s but his impact is what lasted for so long and for for decades you know for those of us who grew up in the 70s and the 80s there was really nothing uh in terms of representation that we could see ourselves on screen and so yeah bruce paved the way for that in so many ways for any anything you see on screen now you know he really paved the way for that just the stuff he had the stuff he had to do to get on screen back then it's so so groundbreaking and so amazing so you know we talk about him a lot he's he's just he's really a hero to a lot of especially anyone from the ages of you know 70 down to your age you know like even younger like even i hope teenagers now still know who bruce lee is but it's like they do yeah i i hope I so think the yeah. kids do yeah they come in and they're like wow he does kung fu yeah 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 <laughs> and he, these are little like three four year olds it's yeah. quite cute because you've seen the costumes or you've seen clips or you've seen yeah something everyone has do you know uh do you know the genesis of this exhibit was was there a person who was kind of pushing this through or was it just kind of a collective we should do this because he's our guy you know from san francisco that's a good question i'm actually not quite sure what the genesis of it is but i know that kind of when it came down to it um they wanted to tell the story of bruce and san francisco um i think that's a lot of that's a story that a lot of people don't no, um, I personally had no idea. Like, yeah. um, I, I thought he was born in Hong Kong. <laughs> right, right. Because he has a little bit of an accent, right? Because he grew up there. Yeah, but even his accent is quite interesting. Uh -huh. um, but I think it's, I think, I mean, they didn't think about it back then, but I think it's actually kind of a really good time and place to have this particular exhibit because Bruce himself is a unifier. He's like, transcended you know generations gender um you know cultures ethnicities um and he really just brings people together and especially now more than ever i think especially you know during covid um it's kind of great to have bruce as a reminder um and he's definitely influenced um a lot of us and like you said right like bruce was the only person on screen that looked like us yeah for decades <laughs> and it's funny that you brought that you brought shang chi up because i'm not sure if you noticed in the exhibit there's a shang chi comic book uh, that's i believe probably from like the 70s or yeah, 80s yeah. and it was it, it looked like bruce Right, right. <laughs> it wasn't similar right yeah, yeah, yeah um but i think it's kind of funny how it kind of comes around right when i saw it in the exhibit i was like oh my goodness like shang chi just came out right that's that's simu tony and michelle <laughs> and paula yeah yeah you know here we are 50 years later and his stuff is still influential yeah whether that's you know in like popular culture whether that's in martial arts um, mm -hmm. whether that's in hip-hop as well i yeah. think that's something people that's a point that people miss um he had a very very strong influence on hip-hop culture especially in the bay area and that you know kind of in turn like kind of disperses right yeah but he was a, i mean the, so the exhibit is really fun you walk in 
and you start right right inside the door, you see his birth certificate or a copy of his birth certificate in San Francisco and some early pictures. And I didn't know I, you know, I, I consider myself a fan, but I'm not a super fan. But I didn't know that he um, his mom was actually half Caucasian or half your she was Eurasian. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I think. That's something Bruce kind of also came to terms with, right? Because whether he was in the U.S. or whether he was in Hong Kong, he never fit never in. Never totally fit, yeah. Right? People would always be like, you're a foreigner, right? But he's just like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. like he, he's kind of, he is kind of like the definition of Chinese and American and Chinese American. Yeah. Um, well, and he found the balance in that, I think. Yeah, and you know it's it's kind of sad in a way to think that it was not super long ago, but you know he even couldn't legally get married to his to Linda Lee. I, I forget her maiden name, but he couldn't legally get married in 1964, uh, and until the the Supreme Court case let people marry interracially in 1967, and and I think he there was a quote saying that. He wanted his kids to be American so that they wouldn't have to deal with so much crap that he had to deal with. And yeah, and there's also there were a lot of like tabloids and like gossip magazines back then too that were like, "This is crazy!" Like yada yada. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Um, you know, like, yeah, like and like you said, right? To only think that that was only like a few decades ago, like our parents, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm like, are you are you like are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty nuts. But he did break barriers, you know, so many ways. Like he he worked with African American actors and and other organizations, and he was always trying to trying to push barriers and boundaries. And the exhibit takes it through his movies, of course, in the Green Hornet days, where yeah, he was, you know, not given a huge part in that show, but he was one of the fan favorites. Like everyone liked his character. He was. The fan favorite from what I've heard, actually. And you actually could see it, like, as the series progressed, even on, like, you know, those, like, old TV weekly, like, magazines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that were a thing. Um, you know, the first one, didn't I believe, didn't even have Bruce's face on it. But as the series progressed, right, like, he came, like, he was in the picture and then he came further and, like, closer and closer, closer, closer. And yeah. to, like the last um tv weeklies that the green hornet was on it was just bruce's face yeah um van williams was nowhere to be seen (laughs) um and i've had a lot of people come into the exhibit um no matter really who you are who grew up in that time they're like yeah bruce was so cool like that's like it was like the only character they could remember it's like they couldn't remember any of the other characters from the show yeah um which is quite funny (laughs) yeah i mean there's that video of him playing right next to that exhibit and the charisma i think he's like 24 years old there 25 years old the charisma you can just see it jumping it's black and white but his smile his way of talking his presentation his body language yeah he just he his charisma is off the charts and i think you know movie producers saw it and they needed to get him into on the big screen, but yeah, it's just such a such a character. And and your the collection that you guys got together from not only from Shannon Lee, his daughter, and the foundation, but other collectors too. Like Jeff Chin has this huge Harry Bruce Lee. Lee collection. He donated, not donated. He lent things, lent, yes, yeah, to be displayed. It has like 
how many magazine covers do you have? <laughs> like 30 magazines? There's a lot. I, that's only a very small handful, I can imagine. Um, yeah. I've always seen pictures of his Bruce Lee collectibles room. Amazing. Jess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always wanted to go. I One know. of these days, I will be like, Jeff, I'm coming over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need to see this room. <laughs> um, it's only a very small, small portion of what his collection actually is. And, and he- I really do hope that they also like kind of change out the collections a little bit yeah. um, and show different other things as well. Yeah. Jeff Chin, uh, local Bay area resident. Yeah. And he uh, is probably the world's greatest Bruce Lee fan. I don't know. In terms of collectibles. In terms of collectibles, I believe he has the most. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And um, he came down and do some tours, right? He was helping out at the, at the exhibit. Yes, he does come in, I believe, about two days a week, uh, um, whether that's to give tours or to, you know, be there as a ask me about anything about <laughs> Bruce. You know? Yeah. Um, he's always more than happy to talk about Bruce. Yeah. No, I want to hang out. I want to have uh, I want to have coffee with Jeff someday and just talk about Bruce. He'd love to. <laughs> OK. Yeah. All right. Jeff, if you're listening, uh, hit me up. I want to hang out with you. Um, and so, yeah, there's posters, uh, there's toys, there's magazines. There's actually the, one of the, one of the coolest things is a lot of the stuff is in Bruce's own handwriting, um, which is, and it's beautiful handwriting too. And it's just, it's philosophy and he would write letter, you know, see some of the original letters. It's really a neat, neat collection that I, I, like you said, must've taken years to get. Yeah. And his writing, like you said, Beautiful. I think it ha- probably has to do with his Hong Kong schooling. <laughs> yeah, and deep. It's, you know, his stuff is deep so nice. too. It's not. It's not just you know light stuff. But he was a thinker, a philosopher. Um, I got to say though, the the coolest thing in terms of visuals was that mural. That thing is amazing. Uh, you want to describe it for folks? Yeah. So we have. It's not a traditional sense of a mural. When you say mural, we. I right. mean, it, it is, but it isn't. It's, it's nothing like you've ever um, seen. Yeah. It has many parts to it. Um, so there is kind of like the traditional painted part of the mural, um, and then we actually have projectors that um, you know project onto it as well, and also onto our other um, two side walls. Yes. Um. So. And we also have a sound bar. So it's kind of like three um, pieces that come together at like the actual part, which is a mural of um, Bruce at the middle and all these people who have been influences of Bruce or um, people who have been influenced by Bruce, right? So you'll see, you know, um, his kids, Linda, mom and dad. Um, and then you'll see people like um, Juju Tanzito, um, you'll see people like um, the Wu-Tang Clan yeah. you know, who have been influenced by yeah. Bruce, right? And some of their music is playing. Yes, yes. And then um, we have kind of this interactive projection that um, starts off kind of on the main wall. And then, you know, sometimes there's also dragon. There's a dragon that actually kind of like bounces off the walls, which yeah. is very cool. Um, I could sit in that room all day. For and real? I know the kids, the kids love it. I mean, if you're like you know, three, four years old, they'll be, they'll be all like sitting there. Like, they'll be like, wow, water bubble. (laughs) And it's, it's a really, really cool sight to see and hear. Yeah. No, I I watched it a good, at least three times through, you know, it cycles around 
but you see things you see different things every time and it's it is immersive do you do you have i mean besides the mural um do you have a favorite part of the exhibit um in terms of the bruce lee exhibit that is i think my favorite part um Mm. we do have another display actually that isn't part of the bruce lee series but we have um a group of miniatures yeah um by a local sf artist his name is frank wong um him and his family they still reside in the area and these are just very very detailed um miniature displays of just sites in chinatown um or of people's homes right whether that if that's like an sro like a single room occupancy unit um, or if it's like of someone's kitchen or of like the herbal shop, everything is so intricate and very detailed. And for me, I think a lot of it is just, it kind of brings back my memories too. Yeah. <laughs> um, of just like how like I was raised by my parents and my grandparents, right? There's one scene, um, there's a fridge and then I think there's like a mooncake box on top of the fridge. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, you know, like, cause you know, my grandparents and parents would always put stuff on top of the fridge um, when I was growing up. Get your sewing kit in there or coupons yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like in the, it's in like the Danish, blue Danish cookie yeah, box. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or the, exactly, exactly. <laughs> or something and it's like the sewing kit and not really cookies. <laughs> and you're like, where are the cookies? <laughs> yeah, classic. Yeah. Um, but those miniatures are definitely loved by like the little ones because they're actually at eye level for the kids to see. As yeah, well it as, is. Um, the adults also really like them too. I can see, like, I see people standing there for so long because they're trying to like take everything in because it's, it's like a 3D I spy book essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's done extremely, extremely well. Yeah, and it's kind of eaten. It's also East meets West, right? It's like an American kitchen, but it's a Chinese American family. So, right? you yeah. know, yeah. It's very cool. It'll be like, right? Like, it'll be like the Christmas tree is probably there all year, right? right, right. And then, like, <laughs> you have the mahjong table on the side, yeah, but then. Yeah. You know, you'll also see like Skippy peanut butter, seized candy, right, right. spam, right? Mixed in with like the dumplings and mooncakes and dim sum and whatnot exactly. that's on the table, yeah, yeah. Um, which is very, I think, nostalgic too. I think that's probably also why I really like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because these are all things of my childhood and even my life now. Yeah. I really like the way that uh, you guys really tried to work in some interactive elements of it where people get to write messages um there's boards that you can break uh kind of karate style and you can break these you can write messages on the board and break them and and they're kind of laying around there for people to read there's uh chalk walls there's notebooks there's uh more current stuff downstairs you know graffiti artists and other stuff going on uh downstairs so it's just really a it's really a fun afternoon um, it's not huge, you know, don't, don't expect the De Young Museum or, or something really big, but it's intimate, you know, you can interact with the other guests, the, the other visitors too, because you're right there, you know, there's not, there's not hundreds of people there, but it, it's, it's just kind of fun. Like I had a couple conversations with people like, oh yeah, I remember this. And he was like, oh, I remember that. It was an African-American guy and we were looking at the um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scene from the movie where he gets that big giant footprint on his chest. And we were yeah. talking about, I remember that when I was a kid and how, how crazy that was. And it's kind of cool to see, you know, there's other people who, 
who love Bruce as much as you do and, you know, want to talk about him and keep his memory alive. And I think the museum just gives you an opportunity to have these kinds of conversations with your kids, with your friends, with your uncles, your grandparents, you know, you can Bruce crosses generations and it's really cool. Yeah, he really does. And a lot of people who come in too, um, they also know Bruce um, or have had family members or someone wow. that knows, knew Bruce. Um, and I think it kind of also goes to show like the locality of um, the museum itself. Um, yeah. And people will be like, yeah, like I remember Bruce and Bruce, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah, oh, that, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and and you had Shannon come down there and Shannon was there for the opening. Shannon Lee, his daughter, she's, I think she's same age as me, which is kind of cool because Bruce is the same age as my mom and Shannon's the same age as me. And so she, she put her, her stamp is all over this. You can see a couple of videos with her talking about her dad. And she also talks about looking forward with her show, uh, warrior, which she helped to produce. And so have, have you met Shannon? Have you had conversations with Shannon? I've met Shannon. I, I, I actually remember it very clearly. It was a very hectic day. It was um, our opening night. And, you know, I'm kind of like fast walking down our, our narrow hallway. <laughs> and I, I stop because I see these feet on the ground and I look up and Shannon's wearing a very cute floral green dress. And I'm like, I, I, I'm like, you know, a little like, you know, starstruck. Right, I'm like, right. Oh my goodness. It's, it's, it's Shannon Lee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's more or less kind of what, where my interaction ended up. I'm like, <laughs> oh, nice to meet you. And then, you know, kind of on my way. Um, and then to also kind of help set up her little, um, signing event. She, or she did a quick signing. She didn't do it with other people around, but with like staff around um we do have still have some of her signed merchandise in our store um but that was my interaction with shannon um that i probably only said hi shannon nice to meet you that's it and that's probably where it ended i was like still like oh my gosh that's the problem yeah you're you're, you're too tongue-tied to actually say anything meaningful <laughs> oh yeah. man yeah no I, she's on my i have a very short list of people I'd love to get on the podcast and she has her own podcast so people can listen to her, but uh, yeah. Oh man, she would be great to have on the podcast. She's, she's a local legend. So everyone should get down to Chinatown and get over to the Chinese historical society of America museum and pop in there and there are every so often there's special events. There was a teacher's event. I missed it. Uh, but there is a, there was a teacher's event. So every so often keep your finger on that website or Instagram so you can know about special stuff going on down there. So we usually end our interviews by asking our guests to elevate someone in the Asian community. We call this, uh, who is your infatuation? And so, uh, Kim Sito, who is your infatuation? Yeah, so my infatuation, some people might actually know who this person is. His name is Eric Nam. Uh-huh. Um, he's a Korean-American singer, songwriter, producer. Um, you might also know him, know him as like a K-pop idol. It, for me, his story is just very inspirational as like a Korean-American, right? Um, the immigrant story, um, you know, kind of following the paths of, you know, what it is to be like, you know... <laughs> 
an Asian in America, right? So he goes to college, ends up working at Deloitte, right? And then, you know, <laughs> gives it up to become a singer in Korea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, really to make a name for himself. And after he kind of, I mean, now he's kind of, he's back in the States making, you know, music here in the States. Um, it's kind of like a nice homecoming story. And him in particular, I think why I really, really like him is he um, speaks to issues in Asian American society, mm -hmm. um, whether that's, you know, Asian American hate or just even, you know, like Asian Americans talking about like mental health, right? Um, he talks about these things that might be taboo to talk about or things that people don't particularly want to talk about, but these are definitely issues that um, need to be highlighted, whether it's about, you know, violence against Asian Americans or mental health or the more serious things. Um, but yeah. also, he's a very fun yeah. guy um, in person. Um, I've actually been very blessed to meet him twice. Oh, really? <laughs> um, at his concert. And he's very down-to-earth, very funny. Seems like it, um, yeah. I really wish, like, I want to be, be friends with you, Eric, I know. <laughs> hearing this. <laughs> Um, you just seem like a really cool person. He really um, does, and yeah. He's he's my infatuation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got that approachability. I saw an interview with him, it was really funny. He was talking about how, you know, like you said, he started out in business and then he, he made the shift into entertainment and he and you know, his mom was kinda like, I'm not sure. And then so he had to show his mom like how he's really popular in the in Korea and how he's blowing up. And his mom finally kind of got on board when she saw he had like this many views or this many subscribers and stuff. Yeah. But mom's always probably gonna be like, So when are you getting a real job? When are you getting eh? a real job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's on brand. That's typical for Asian moms out there. But uh yeah, good choice. Eric Nam. It's too bad he's not very good looking though, right? I think he's very good looking. <laughs> Just kidding. He's he is a cutie, yeah. <laughs> so we had a real good time talking with you, Kim. Thanks for coming along. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's always good to you know, I feel like um even though we're different ages and you know, we have different experiences, it's always fun to talk about people who kind of you know, just have the the passion for our community and the passion for, I mean, that's kind of why we started this podcast, just to talk to people and elevate and uh, amplify voices of Asian creators. So thanks for all that you do. Yes, thank, thanks for what you do as well. Uh -huh, um, thank you. <laughs> so on behalf of Kimberly and myself, we hope that you all out there are happy, healthy, and safe. And we will talk to you again soon. So until we do... Bye. Bye.